0: It's really good. This thing almost covers me. So it's kind of <laughs> Let's open up in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come and we thank you. Thank you we can gather in your name, Lord. Just pray in anointing Holy Spirit that you would lead me in your word today. And Lord, open up our hearts to what you have to say to us as this is so important within the body of Christ. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. But before we do get started, um, I was amiss uh, yesterday. We had men's conference here. They're like, what, about 70, 80 guys? leader, the the coaches and all. So about 85 men who desire to go on with Jesus Christ and be men of God, be husbands and fathers. We fall short, but you know what? We gird each other under and we go forward. So it was really a blessing. Um, Pastor Morgan, Pastor Scott spoke and it was really good And for the guys to bond together. Because, you know, it's very true. Men can be distant. We can be closed up. So it's good to have other guys to gird up with as we we go through this thing. And uh, so it was really why I want to thank TJ and Tim for really stepping up to the plate and leading the men's ministry here. They've got, what, about 25 guys on Tuesday night? And look, so go the men, so go the family. Amen? So thank you, guys. Alright, so let's get back into it with our study, and guess what? Romans, as we go through chapters 12 to 15, 13, and as I said, what is his epistle? And as we saw in verses 1 and 2, it really deals, Romans 12, 1 and 2, deals with our relationship to God and that we are to be living sacrifices, no longer conforming to the things of this world, but being transformed in the renewing of our mind to be like Christ Jesus. Because if we have the mind of Christ and walk in the things of Christ, we will become more like Christ. Amen? All right? And then uh, in verses 3 to 8, we looked at the believer's relationship to the church body. And as we saw, a quick summary, as Christians, we're to emulate... Christ's humility within the church itself in our life and service. And like him, we are not looking to be served, but to serve. Amen? And to fulfill God's will for us by using our gifts and talents within the local church body. Why? To bring glory and honor to God. And what? To edify the body of believers. Sal, I don't know if the hook's not up yet. That's all right. Okay. All right. So that. So we get up to that point. So the first two verses deal with our relationship to the Lord, then our relationship within the body of Christ. Now, if you open up with me, we'll continue. We're going to look at our relationship with each other as brothers and sisters believers. So open up to Romans 12, and we're going to look at verses 9 to 13. Romans 12, 9 to 13. Romanos doce, hmm? Romanos. See? Oh, I'm getting there. All right. So it says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope. Patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share with the Lord's people who are in need, and practice hospitality. And so Paul opens these verses with, love must be sincere, all right? And it's interesting that the word love here that Paul uses in the original manuscript is agape, or agape, love, which means a sacrificial love. It is the type of love that God the Father sacrificed for sin, and it's the type of love that Jesus demonstrated by going to the cross and being crucified so that we could be set free from our sins, set free from condemnation, when he took upon himself the sins of the world on the cross. It's that type of love that Paul is talking about here. My pastor used to define it as this, the humble sacrifice of self, for the benefit of another, with no strings attached to the glory of God. There are no strings attached to agape love. It's done sacrificially with no concern about getting anything back for it. Amen? And church, out of every gift the Lord has endowed on us, with us, out of every attribute of God we are to emulate, it must be begin with an agape type of love. Do you hear me? The type of love exemplified in the Godhead. It should be demonstrated, it should be at the root of who we are and how we live as Christians. It's got to be that sacrificial love that we have for our relationship with the Lord, that we have for our relationship with each other, and that we have for the lost. That should be the root of it. And it's interesting. I want you to listen to Paul's words in uh, the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. But let me just say, he goes, if I speak in the tongues of angels, if I have the gift of prophecy and knowledge and all understanding, if I give everything I have to the poor or even martyred, it's nothing if it's not rooted in love. And why? Because it's a sacrificial love that looks for no merit. A lot of times we can do things and underlying we're looking for that little, ah, nice guy. Look what he did. Oh, what a great Christian. Oh, look, he died for the faith. And looking for that edification in ourselves. No, this is a sacrificial love done unto the Lord, wanting no credit for it. Amen? Do you hear what I'm saying? And at the end of uh, 1 Corinthians 13, and verse 13, it says this. Now, these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is agape, love, a sacrificial love. And understand, This isn't a sloppy love that we see in the world today. Yes, an emotional love. Or, you know, I love my dog. No. Or it's not uh, the world's view of love. This is a love from God's point of view. Do you hear me? It's a sacrifice on the part of the believer. Listen, in our service to God, sacrifice in being his witness, sacrifice in our being conformed to his image, and our sacrifice in our relationship with others. So everything we do, this root of agape love is at the root of it. Whether we're serving the Lord, being molded into his image, because listen, let's be honest, it's going to take a sacrifice of self to become more like Christ when we have the relationship to others. Not being so easily offended and not taking those things to heart and our sacrifice in relationship to the lost. Because listen, as we get into it later on, you're going to see that as Christians, we're going to suffer persecution and affliction because we stand for Christ. But at the root of what we do for other people is that agape love. All right, And with agape love, listen, I is not at the center. Do you hear me? God and others are at the center. You know where I is in the center? The word pride. Okay, and agape love has nothing to do with pride. And Paul states that this love should be sincere. In King James, it says it should be without hypocrisy. For it's a genuine love that comes from what? comes from the heart and can only be demonstrated through the power of the Holy Spirit. The only way we can demonstrate this love is that if we are in Christ... We can't have that sacrificial love that glorifies God and edifies another if we're not in Christ to begin with. So it comes with a relationship with Christ. Our whole conduct towards each other is to be rooted in this kind of love. If not, if not, Scripture actually charges, listen to me, charges us that there is room for doubt in our professed love for God. If we can't demonstrate this kind of love one for another, there's actually a portion of scripture in 1 John 4, 19 that questions our love for God. Listen to what 1 John 4, 19 to 21 says. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God does not love Agape, his brother, who he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must love his brother. That's a sacrificial type of love. Do you hear me? And let me use two contrasting portions of scripture that give insight to what I'm talking about here. Please turn with me to James chapter two, verses fourteen to eighteen. And if you want, on the back of your bulletin you can write down those verses. James two, verses fourteen to eighteen. What good is it, my brothers? If someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such a faith save them? Listen carefully to this. Suppose a brother is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical need, what good is it? What good is it? If we see a need, and you're my brother and sister in Christ, hey, keep warm, well fed, see you later. If we see a need and do nothing to help that need or address that need, what kind of love are we showing one to another? So as Christians, when their need arises in the church, we step up to the plate and we reach out. It can be an emotional need, a physical need, whatever it is as Christians. And let me give you a contrast, a contrast from Scripture. Please turn 5 to 37. And we're all familiar with this parable, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Turn there. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus' teacher. He asked, What must I do to inherit eternal life? What's written in the law? He replied. Jesus replied, How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Perfect answer. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Listen carefully. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to the inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave him to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you have. Which of these three do you think is, was, was his neighbor? And let me, I have in my notes a Rob paraphrase. Which one demonstrated agape love to the man? The man fell into the hands of robbers. the expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. The priest, the man of God, the one who makes the sacrifices in the temple, saw the man and passed by. Could you see it? Oh, I can't become unclean. I can't touch him. I have to go to the temple and do my job. So, sorry, pal. And then the Levite the one who helps the priest and the things in the temple. He saw the man, the religious man, the Levite saw him and he passed by. But the half-breed, that's how Samaritans were seen. They were seen as dogs, as half-breeds. The one who didn't see that man as his brother, remember the priest and the Levite, this was a Jewish man. These, this was his, their brother, if you will, a fellow Jew. But the Samaritan goes and he takes care of the man. And look, I want you to see something. This is a sacrificial love. What did he do? Took out his bandages, his oil, his wine, his possessions, and used them on the man. Then he put him on his own donkey, which means, guess what? He had to walk. So he sacrificed his comfort. And then he got him to the inn. He sacrificed his time as he spent time with the man, and then sacrificed his finances in giving the two denarii and said, and if it cost anything more, I'll be back. So which one should we exemplify as brothers and sisters in Christ, the Samaritan? We can get so caught up in religion sometimes that we forget what it is to be brothers and sisters in Christ meeting each other's needs and doing the right thing by each other. Amen. Amen. So let's not be like the priest or the Levite, but have the attitude of Samaritan and what we see a need in our brothers and sisters to reach out and that agape love, whether it's a sacrifice of time, talents, possessions, finances. There is always somebody who has more, and there's always somebody who has less. There will always, a need will always arise in the church, but I'll get there and, and accommodate you as the family of God because I've seen that neighborhood here. We always stepped up to the plate. Amen? And uh, our question must be to ourselves are we living within a religion or are we living within the mindset of Christ? And only we and God know the motives of our heart. And I have down here what do you do when you see a need? Make an excuse? or make an effort. It's those two E words, excuse or effort. All right, let's go on now. Let's go on in uh, Romans into uh, 9b of chapter 12. And Paul writes, hate what is evil and cling to what is good. All righty, and let me begin by saying this. If God exemplifies perfect love, who exemplifies perfect evil? The devil, Satan, yes? Correct, right? Right? and his goal Satan's goal is to tempt each one of us into sinning so that we stumble and fall and it tars or mars our relationship with the Lord and our effectiveness as a Christian witness do you hear me so it says hate what is evil cling to what is good listen to me carefully family God hates sin God hates sin. It's an offense to him because he knows the consequences, the spiritual and temporal consequences they bring. It can destroy our witness if we go into sinful patterns of behavior. How can you witness to the loss if you're acting just like the world? They'll say it's hypocrisy. God hates sin. Do you hear me? Listen to these couple of scripture verses. In Psalm 5, 4 and 5, it says this. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. God hates sin. He hates wickedness. He hates evil. Yes? In Isaiah 52, 9, uh, 59 2, it says this But your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you, so he will not hear. And what he's saying is that if you don't come to him in repentance, you can throw up all the prayers you want. And he's going to block it until you come to repentance and turn from the wickedness of your ways, then come back to him and say, Lord. And our prayers then go before him, and he opens up his ears to our prayers, amen? Listen, church, it's the sins of men who put Christ on the cross. Therefore, knowing the cost paid for our redemption, and now having the mind of Christ and understanding the Lord's repulsion for wickedness and evil, and our understanding of who is the driving force behind sin and wickedness, we, like God, should hate, sin, Amen. hate, evil, and cling to what is good. Amen? Amen. We're to hate sin in our personal lives, and our choices and lifestyles. But we're also instructed, listen, to cling to what is good. Cling to what is good. And the Greek uh, verb for good is kaleo, and it comes from kola, which means to be glued or bonded to. Alrighty, and what was put in here, practical application, is that we should bind ourselves to God. And if we bind ourselves to God and to His Word and His principles, only then can we carry out what is good. Because Scripture tells us that only God is good. Only God is good, morally perfect. So if we cling ourselves to him, the principles of his word, then we can start to live out that moral perfection he desires of us. Will we be morally perfect on this side of eternity? Absolutely not. It's not that we received our glorified bodies, but that doesn't. In Matthew 19, it says, A man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good things must I do to get eternal life? And Jesus replies, Why do you ask me what is good? there is only one who is good, and that is God. God is only perfectly morally good, and we are to cling to him. Family, look, he's perfect. Everything. Therefore, the logical conclusion is this. We are to cling to what is good, cling to God, surrender to the Holy Spirit. So as Tim says, let... Jesus increased as we decrease, and the Holy Spirit works through us with the understanding, that's why we're in the Word of God, of applying those principles so that we can cling to Him which is good and become like Him, Amen. morally good. Amen? Amen? And family, since only God is good and as disciples, we should bond ourselves to Him his word and his principles. There should be nothing in this world that will keep us from adhering or bonding ourselves to our Lord. Do you hear me? There is nothing out there that should be so attractive that could drag you away from the principles of God or lure you into sin. If you keep an eternal perspective and an understanding of what Christ did for us and who is behind the wickedness, then we should more easily not stumble into sinful patterns of behavior or lifestyles. Yes? Yes? And listen to what Paul writes in Philippians 4, 8, and 9. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, God is true. His word is true. Yes? Whatever is noble, whatever is right, only God is perfectly righteous. Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen to me, put into practice. And let me add this one favorite verse. Titus 2, Tito. Dose? How's that? 11 to 15. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself, why? To redeem us from all wickedness. All right? The opposite of what is good. And to purify for himself a people that it was very his very own, eager to do what is good, eager to be morally perfect, eager to be like Christ. Do you hear me? So when Paul is saying, if in the beginning of the verses, when we started looking at Romans 12... Be made new in the renewing of your mind. If our mind is on the things of God, if our mind is on the Lord himself, then it's going to be harder to step away from his principles and into wickedness and evil. He wants us to be morally good like him. Church, we're to hate evil and hate sin. First of all, because it's the antithesis of who God is. He's perfectly good, perfectly love. The evil one is perfectly wicked and perfectly evil. Did I get that? Yes. Good. So we want to be more like God. Amen? Amen. Second, knowing the cost of sin. It costs Jesus the cross in this earthly ministry to come and redeem us. Understanding that, we should be repulsed that it's those sins that put him on the cross and to stay away from it. Yes? And then also understanding that it can be destructive in our lives and in the lives of others. Yes? Sin can destroy our lives. And the last thing, we love the Lord and we want to stay away from those behaviors, but we don't want to cause a brother or sister to stumble. Amen? Amen. There are young babes in Christ that if our behaviors are such that it doesn't exemplify Christ, what are we teaching the young that are coming to Christ? So we want to be good examples for our children For the new babes in Christ, whether they're lifestyle, right? What we do when we're out and stuff. We want to be living examples of Christ so we don't cause another brother or sister to stumble. Or so that they can grow and mature in a true sense of what our faith in Christ is. And that's holiness, yes? So that's the way we want to walk, amen? And now Paul goes on in the next few verses by indicating how to apply what he's just taught here within the body of Christ, and he addresses us as family. See, we have to see that, and you've heard me say from here, we're the family of God. We're brothers and sisters in Christ, and he wants us to react and interact with each other as such. Now, we can all say, well, you didn't know my family. Well, you didn't know my family. But still, even within the dysfunctional family, we're supposed to love each other as Christ loved us, yes? Listen to uh, 1 John 1, 3. It says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. Church, we are the adopted sons of daughter of God the Father, amen? amen? And we can call him Abba, which means Daddy. So we are under one Daddy, our Father in Heaven, and we are brothers and sisters in Christ, and we should treat each other as such, yes? So now Paul will begin with a list of family obligations, if you will, and it begins in verse 10. A, of chapter 12, by saying, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. And as I studied this, the Greek root word for devoted and brotherly love, it roots itself in phileo, right? And what it's talking about here is that we are supposed to have, like, a phileo relationship with each other, a family relationship with each other, and treat each other as such as we come under our Father, God our Father, as the body of Christ, yes? And listen, all relationship and uh, affiliation with each other within the body is not based on personal attraction, or else you guys wouldn't come if you had to look at me every week. All right, Desirability, differences in personal likes and dislikes, it's based on the fact that we are members of God's family, and he calls us to agape one another, to love one another, yes? Listen to a few of these verses, John fifteen twelve. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. How did Jesus love us, church? Oh, yeah, he died on the cross. You know, he came here first. He left the glories of heaven to come here into this crazy world so he could go to the cross and die for us. That's the kind of love he demonstrated for us. In 1 John 3.11, it says this, For this message you heard from the beginning, we should love one another. In John 13.35, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Amen? And so Paul goes on, knowing that we should have this kind of love one for each other. In verse 10b, he says, Then honor one another above yourselves. Show honor to one another. And let me, let me say this. That honor is a recognition and appreciation for each other, for who we are in the family of God. It's a recognition and appreciation for the gifts and talents that we use to edify each other within the body of Christ. It is not flattery, because usually flattery has an ulterior motive behind it. We'll fla- people will flatter someone so that they can get something out of it. This is not flattery. It's showing a sincere appreciation, a sincere recognition for us as members of the body of Christ and for the gifts and talents we use within the body. I appreciate our worship team. I appreciate the guys up there that we don't see who make all the technology work. I appreciate those who teach Sunday school. And we can tell them as such, I appreciate our leaders in the men's group. We don't see Donna doing a book club online, but she's ministering to our ladies. So we should appreciate one another and recognize one another for who we are as brothers and sisters in Christ, but also for what we do to glorify him and edify the body, amen? And again, listen, I have down here, there's no room for pride or haughtiness in our gifts, when we use our gifts or talents, because look, those gifts and talents are given to us by God anyway, yes? So we have no room to boast. Listen to Paul's word, and boy, I don't know about who's out there, but I can fit into these words real easily. brother. I think there's a K in front of knucklehead, but I was, you know, lived in the world, did all the foolish things the world. Uh, I just thank God that I'm still here because I should have died a hundred times. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. Any kings and queens born here? Any dukes or earls, right? But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and despised things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that we're in Christ Jesus. Let me stay there. We can't even stand on the fact that, hey, I came to Christ. He drew us. There were none righteous, no, not one, none that believe, none that are seeking after him. So don't think, well, hey, man, I, you know, I'm a Christian. I grew up as a Christian. God drew you. You can't even boast in that. Amen. And he has become our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. And therefore, it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Because he gifted us, he put us in his time and place, and he's allowed us to be in his family, to bring him glory, and to edify each other. Amen? And this goes to what I kind of spoke about two weeks ago, that we should really display in our interaction with each other and with others the type of humility that it talks about in Philippians 2, when it says this, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but to those of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as that of Christ Jesus. Basically, respect each other and appreciate one another for who we are as brothers and sisters. Though he is perfect, we're all dysfunctional. I don't care what you say. Every family's been dysfunctional since the garden. Okay, So we respect and recognize each other as being members of his body. And now watch what he does. Paul jumps into verse 11a and says this, never be lacking in zeal. And my first question is, what does never mean? Come on, English teacher. What does never mean? It means never, right? We're never supposed to use that like when we do an essay, never write never or all the time. Never means never, yes? What Paul is referring to here is, don't be lukewarm. Don't be lukewarm. Never lose your zeal. Be on fire in your service to God and your love for God. In other words, don't lose that fire for your relationship with the Lord. Don't lose that fire with the gifts that God's given you to use them to edify the body of Christ. Don't be lacking in zeal. Do it as unto the Lord because the body of Christ is being built up in you. I have down here, I need you guys. You hear me? I need those people. Wes, what you do with the people that you work with on a Tuesday or Thursday night, if it gets, do that. Right? People are involved in teaching Sunday school. People are involved, what they do up here, Samantha, I have to, where is she? I love the sound of the violin this morning. It was, it, it's like Frankenstein. <laughs> it just soothes the beast. But I can never play the violin. I'm sorry, last night Abner Gassel and Meeks Frankenstein was on. Classic. All righty? But we have to respect. There are things that we can do that others can do, and we, we respect, we don't want to lose that zeal with the gift God's given us. Amen? And he goes on, he says this. Listen to his words in John 9, 4, and 5. Jesus says this, As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. What Jesus is saying is, i got three and a half years to use what God has given, placed me to do. And Jesus did it perfectly. He didn't waver. He went through his ministry with a zeal, healing, feeding, doing, tired, putting up with those 12 guys, but he did it zealously and then went to the cross. It says he set his face like flint and went to the cross. And while we are here, we ought to be the light of the world, have that same zeal for the commission that God's given us and for the use of our gifts and talents within the body to edify each other. Amen? We never know when the Lord's going to call us home. So let's work while it's day. And every soul that we can reach for Christ, praise God, because that's one we snatch out of the fire. In Sunday school, today we talked a little bit going into the tribulation. You don't want your worst enemy to be here after that trumpet calls. Can you imagine, and we brought this out, when the restraining power of the Holy Spirit takes a step back, there are no Christians in the world And then God pours out his wrath on the world. Can you even imagine what that's going to be like? You can't. You can watch Left Behind. Doesn't do it justice. It's scary. So while it is day, let us work, Christians, because there's people out there that need to be saved. There's people in here who need to be edified with the gifts and talents you have. Yes? And drive home this point. Look at verse 11b. He says, keep your spiritual fervor. Not only is he saying be zealous, but he's saying have the right attitude. Be on fire, be, being diligent, refers to the action we're keeping a spiritual fervor uh, talks to our attitude. If we're involved in ministry, please let there be no murmuring, complaining, or seeing it as drudgery. Do you hear me? We should be thankful that God allows us or has gifted us to use this to glorify him and build each other. What drudgery. I have to be honest. When I found out that Lynette was leaving, I had to teach Sunday school in the back. I was like, oh, man. But then as I started getting into it, it's been building me up looking at end time events. And when we get to the truth project, I can't wait to share. It's going to be great as we look at things from a biblical perspective. So we shouldn't see ministry as drudgery. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Because, you know, nothing else matters. You know, the only thing we're going to take with us into eternity is what we do for the Lord here. That's it. That's it. So, yeah, you could sit home, watch the football game at 1 o'clock, or you could be involved in God's work. Amen? Amen. Praise God. So we never want to be lacking in zeal. We want to keep our spiritual fervor. And look at uh, part C of verse 11. Why? Because we're serving the Lord. That's who we're doing it unto. We're serving the Lord. And again, we use our gifts, talents, to serve the Lord. Listen to Colossians three twenty-three and 24. Whatever you do, Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord, it's a reward. It's the Lord Christ you are serving. Whatever we do within the body of Christ to edify each other, we're doing it in serving the Lord God. It's not for self-edification or aggrandizement. It's to bring glory and honor to him and to build up the body. And let me give you something here. In the original language, serve is the word douleo, which we get the word doulos, It's a bondservant, a bondslave. And a bondslave is only there to do his master's will and to make his master happy. So we're to have that same idea as we serve. We're doing it as unto you, Lord, to make you happy. So all that we do should be for the glory of God. Yes, we are douloses. Remember Nehemiah? When Nehemiah went before the king, when he knew what was going on in Jerusalem, why did the king let him go? Because Nehemiah always had an upright countenance before the, before the king and he always fulfilled his role perfectly. So when he came with a downcast face, the king looked at him and said, wait, what's wrong? And he told him that what's going on back in Jerusalem and the king let him go. Do you understand that People can see in us our love for God, even in the toughest circumstances. Nehemiah did his job perfectly, and he always had the right attitude and countenance. So when he wanted to go back to Jerusalem, the king let him go. Amen? All right. Let's go on. Let's go on. um, In light of verse 11, look what verse 12a says. Be joyful in hope. So we're working for the Lord. We're doing it as unto him. Why? Because we're joyful in hope. He's coming back. Or if we should pass from this world, our hope is that a blessed assurance, an assured expectation that when we pass from this world, we will be in His presence. Do you hear me? So, the hope that He's saying here, be patient in hope, is He's coming or you're going home. So, keep working this unto the Lord because sooner or later you're going to stand before Him at the Benassim judgment and you will receive your inheritance from the Lord. Not that we do it for that reason, but we will stand before him and he will give out rewards and bless us for our faithfulness and how we fulfill, fulfilled our role in using our gifts and talents within the body of Christ. Amen? And boy, did I get ahead of myself. All right, look. We trust the scriptures. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15, 58. It says, Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. I worked for 30 years as a teacher and I tell you what, by next year they forget my name. But what I do for the Lord goes on to eternity. Amen? Amen? How many people? You can go and say, who built the Varanzano Bridge? I don't know. Big project during the day. And it's, oh, look at this great structure. Only what we do is for the Lord. In 2 Timothy 4.8, it says this, Now there is in store for me, in store for you, in store for us Christians, a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And in and those famous words in Matthew 25-21, His master replied, our master will reply, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many. Ready? Come and share in your man. Hallelujah! Anybody look forward to that? Yes. Okay. Am I the only one? No. There's going to come a day, no. and He's going to say, "Well done, Woo, welcome home. Share in my happiness. Oh, and by the way, for your faithfulness, look at what I've stored up for you. Praise God!" Amen. And so we should be encouraged. This is our hope, Church, that we're going to be standing before the Lord someday, and we'll hear those words. And now, as we go on, he also warns us and encourages us in in verse 12b. He says, be patient in affliction. And church, listen carefully. Paul's not talking about the everyday testing trials, afflictions we face. He's talking about the afflictions and testings we're going to go through for being Christians. Do you hear me? Listen um, Listen to John 15, 18 to 21. It says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it will love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant's not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. And hasn't this been the experience of the church since day one? Read about the first century Christians. Impaled on sticks, lit up to light up Nero's Rome, fed to the lions and animal skins, used in the arena, and so on and so on through the ages, Christians have been persecuted. And let me give you a little, where we live now is the most persecution that has ever happened to Christians in the history of our world. If you go through and study North Korea, China, Muslim countries, Boko Haram, Taliban, ISIS, whoever you want to talk about, Christians are being martyred, murdered, raped, butchered in, in droves because of their faith in Christ. In Iran, if you say that, you, that you've been baptized, it's a death sentence. That's why I said what I did about our missionaries are going into the Arab world, the Muslim world, to preach. But Christians have been persecuted since the beginning. But he says, don't waver. You know what your hope is. Amen. So we endure, and why? Because we hold on to the hope that Paul was talking about. We live for Christ, because you know what? We know what is to come. I'm 61. Michael, tell you, he's 77. As I said before, I'm on the front of the conveyor belt. I'm almost there. So I got eternity to look forward to, though. You know what I mean? Amen. So whatever I do on this side, even if they should come, and um, Ray's, is Ray, Ray's not with us this morning, but I f- wish I could remember the song he shared with us Wednesday night. It was a gentleman, I believe he was a missionary, and I shared this in Sunday school, and he was told, denounce Christ or we'll kill your children. And they killed his two children. Denounce Christ or we'll kill your wife. They killed his wife. Denounce Christ or we'll kill you. They killed him. But he stayed faithful because he knew the hope that he had, that his hope wasn't in the things of this world, but his hope was in God. Amen. Amen? Amen? And so we endure. And so we endure. Amen? Give me, I gotta flip these pages a little better. All uh, right, listen to Matthew 5, 10, and 12. It says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you falsely, and say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. If they persecute us for the name of Christ, great is our reward because we're saying, Lord, we belong to you, and I'm looking forward. My hope is in you. The blessed assurance is in you. And at some point, we will stand before him, and he will say, welcome into my kingdom. Amen? And so now Paul goes on and gives us the prescription, if you will, on how to do this, how to be ready, how to endure this. Look at verse Romans 12, 12c. Be faithful in prayer. Faithful in prayer. The King James says, be devoted to prayer, and that means to be unwavering and steadfast in our prayer life. Let me ask you, who was the greatest man of prayer? Jesus. Jesus prayed, and if the Son of God had to address God the Father in his earthly ministry, how much more should we be people of prayer? Amen? Prayer, I've said it, is the lifeblood of the church. God desires an intimate relationship with each one of us, so the only way that we can Take on the test and trials in life. The only way that we can go through a marriage and keep it a Christian marriage, the only way we can be the type of employee, an employer in a church, is if we bathe our days with prayer and by being in the Word of God. Amen? We take the principles of God's Word, we pray, we wrestle with God, we commune with God, we bring our heartaches before God, whatever it is. Go through the Psalms and see. David was a man of prayer also. He wrestles with God, he cries out to God but he relies on his communion with God to get him through as being the king of Israel, yes? And then Paul will now finish up his thoughts with this, how each one of us, in the following verses, each one of us ought to live corporately and individually by contributing to the needs of others. So in verse 13a he writes this, and this word, to share, comes from the Greek word koinoneo, which is where we get the word um, Koinoneo, excuse me, and it means communion. What he's saying is the body of Christ. We commune with one another to meet the needs and share with those who are in need. So if there is a need within the body of Christ, we're supposed to fulfill it. Not the government, not Social Security. Us, the church, in the first century and forward, we're supposed to meet the needs of those widows, orphans, and stuff, not the government. And I guess that's where our country got it wrong. We put it in the government's hands and took it out of the hands of the church, Yes. Listen to Acts 2, 42 to 46. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. We're not talking about socialism. But they sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who was in need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together. Which is glad and sincere hearts. What they're saying is, they opened up their home and met the needs of other believers. And if there was a need, this temporal possession, do I really need, like, the fourth TV in my house? If I had to sell that to meet the need of somebody else, shouldn't I do that? If there's someone without food or clothes? And we're a blessed nation. We have plenty of abundance, plenty of excess. And he's saying here, share with those in needs. Listen to 4, Acts four thirty-two to 35. All the believers were in one heart and mind, no one claimed that any of their possessions were their own. But they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. And there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the need. So there were no needy among them. Could you imagine if we lived this out in our country? The guy who wins that billion dollars, can you imagine if he said, you know what? I'm gonna meet the needs of the poor. I'm gonna help create a facility for the homeless instead of hoarding it away. Oh, now I can buy that 485,000 Testerosa. <laughs> Think I'm kidding? I was at my brother's last week, and my nephew does work, he's a contractor. The guy has a car that's worth 485,000 dollars. The oil change is 10 grand. Can you imagine? Like really, really? and there are people started. So could you imagine if he could give some of that away to help a person who is in need? Listen to Proverbs 3:27 and 28. Do not withhold good from those who it is due when it is in your power. Do not say to your neighbor, come back tomorrow, and I'll give it to you then, when you already have it with you. And that goes back to what we talked about in James. If we can help, how can you send somebody away in need? So as God puts it on your heart, needs will arise in the church, yes? And I think about it, have down here Ananias and Sapphira. It's a hard issue. They sold their property, but then they held some back because they didn't want to give it all up. It's a hard issue. So we have to do it from our heart with the agape love. Amen? Family, like I said before, I've been here 29 plus years. And when needs have arisen in our church, people have come to the top and helped to meet those needs. Amen? What are you going to do? Store up treasures here on earth or store up treasures in heaven? And let me say this, needs will continue to arise, and you never know when you may be the one who's in need. And God, I don't think he keeps a log, but, oh, you've been faithful in meeting the needs of others, I will meet your needs also, yes? So you never know when you might be on the receiving end and when you may be on the giving end, yes? But let's continue. Now Paul accentuates this point in verse 13b and says, practice hospitality. And what this means was practicing hospitality to strangers. So not only were to love each other hearing the local expression, but when others come in, missionaries or others come in, I know TJ's putting up Steve McCarthy this weekend at his home. You entertain, and in the first century when evangelists or missionaries or traveling preachers would go and they'd come into the town, the brothers would take them in and feed them and give them bedding and keep them in their home and, they, and use the possessions and stuff to, to help them do their, do their work, if you will. And he's saying the same thing to us, that not only for the local, but as Christians come, we welcome them into our homes if they're in need of a place to stay or a meal, and so we share with the body of Christ. Has anybody ever gone somewhere, and as soon as someone says they're a Christian, it's like an instant bond? So we're to welcome those in, yes? So and listen to what uh, Third John says. One, five to eight says, Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from pagans. We ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such people so that they may work together for the truth. What he's saying here is when those missionaries or Christians come that you don't know, treat them as you would as we treat each other. Welcome them in. Give them a meal. Sit by the fire with them. Befriend them. And if we look at Luke 10, 1 to 8, which I won't read the whole thing, but you remember when Jesus sends out the 72 and he says, don't take anything with you. If you go into a town and they welcome you in, bless them. But if they don't welcome you, shake the dust off your feet. And that's what we're supposed to do. Welcome those who come in who we may not know. Show hospitality to those we may not know. Amen? And as we conclude this morning, we could say we covered quite a bit of information, yes? discussing the what and how of the relationship we're to have with each other and other believers, yes? And these relationships must begin with a faith in Jesus Christ. The only way you're part of the body of Christ is if you're, what, have your faith in Christ. And the only way you can demonstrate agape love to one another is to receive that through the Holy Spirit, a sacrificial love. And family, listen carefully. Out of this agape love will proceed tangible actions that will minister to the spiritual, emotional, and physical needs of our brothers and sisters. We are a family, some eccentric, some dysfunctional, some ornery, some touchy, some fill in the blank, all right? But we're still family and we're to love each other and we have to minister to each other as the needs arise and they will arise because we live in a sin-cursed world. Even a prayer. And can I tell you one of the greatest things you can do for somebody? Ready? This is, this is a tough one. Listen. Just listen. There's a thing called Stephen's Ministry, and they're trained. And they don't go out and give advice. They just meet with people, and they listen. Sometimes somebody just needs to talk. All right? Right, Wes? Just to talk. And then it's a catharsis. But fill in the blank. So my prayer for us as a congregation is that we glean from what we heard this morning. And I want, I want to ask ourselves this morning, listen to this. If a stranger, saved or unsaved, walked through the doors this morning, would they say, I know that they're disciples of Christ in this place because they have a love one for another. I hope this is the type of church we will be in. I hope it's the type of church we are. That if someone walked through that door, they can say, I know that the Spirit of Christ abides here because these people have a love one for another and demonstrate that type of love. As we, before we go to prayer, Matthew, can you play that wonderful song? And I'm going to ask you guys to stand, join hands, and if you're OCD like me, you don't have to join hands. But join hands. This is a beautiful song, and I really want you to listen to it before we go to prayer this morning. And we could kill the lights there up there in the booth. I'm gonna come down and join hands with Frank.
1: Sometimes it's hard for me to understand How we walk away from each other so easily, even though we're all walking on the same floor. In walls between all the and all say you lose I I don't care what label you may wear if you believe in Jesus you belong with me. the bond we share is all I can is we and we will change
0: that sums it up. Agape. We're to love one each other, each other with that kind of love. Love that as we started off the series, Romans 12, 1 and 2, to love God with that kind of love. And work together to edify each other and to reach the lost. That's what it's all about. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And yes, we have idiosyncrasies and differences and you're not going to maybe like exactly personalities, but it doesn't matter. We love each other with agape love. We look past the idiosyncrasies. We look past the, the things. Because we all have them. If anybody thinks it's perfect, you're in trouble. <laughs> as I'm praying, the worship team is going to come up. Dear Lord, Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your word, love. And I pray for each one of us that we would be as living sacrifices for you. To love you and serve you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Lord, that second greatest commandment is to love each other as ourselves. Lord, help us to love as the body of Christ with a sacrificial love. It's not a mushy love. It's not just a phileo love. It's an agape love. It's not even a hasad love. It's an agape love, Lord, that we would love each other as you loved us. And help us, Lord, to use our gifts and talents to edify this body. Help us, Lord, to have that same type of love for the lost as we'll see in a couple of weeks to reach out and minister to the lost, that they would come to know you and have that same hope that we have. Lord God, we thank you that you filled our hearts, Holy Spirit, with that love, and that encompasses all the other gifts of joy and peace, gentleness and kindness, compassion, faith, goodness. It all starts and is rooted in Agape, Lord, and we thank you. Thank you, Father God, and help us to bring you glory and honor through how we live our lives and how we interact one with another, so that if anybody should come through these doors, they will say, I know that they are disciples of Christ because of the love they have one for another. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.